Welcome to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I am your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. On this show, we talk spirituality for the rest of us with a focus on the art of beautifying all facets of your life, using heritage, culture, beauty by hand, ancestral traditions, and old world style as means to do so. Welcome back, my friends. We're here, season four, episode five, which means that we are halfway through this season already. And it's been a really great season with wonderful guests, and I'm loving the topic we're exploring. Of course, the theme is beauty, and I hope that you've been enjoying the conversations as much as I have. I just came in from letting the chicks out, feeding the chickens, and on my way back, I caught out of the corner of my eye, because I'm always obviously checking on everything when I go out there the garden, what's growing, my seedlings in the little greenhouse. And I noticed a little tiny strawberry coming out of my uh, strawberry plants. And it's brought me much joy so far this morning. (laughs) I planted that uh, last year along with um, some blueberry bushes and they they do take at least a year to start growing. So I'm, I'm really hoping I will actually have a berry harvest this year. And honestly, with gardening, I think it's the same thing I've been saying in these intros with going out to the chicken coop and finding the eggs. I just love going out every morning and seeing the progress, both in the greenhouse and with whatever's already planted in the garden. We have uh, potatoes, asparagus, garlic, already growing in the grounds and just checking on everything and seeing it's progress. It's just a little bit of simple joy to start out the day. So today's show is something that I thought would be fun. It's something I haven't done before. Actually, my guest is one of my oldest, longest, closest friends. Her name is Joanna Barbera. And I will tell you a little bit more about her in a few minutes here. Before I do that, I just want to thank once again all of you who have subscribed to Substack just since the last episode, even at the paid level. It's so wonderful to see you guys join me over there and then make a financial commitment. It's only a few bucks a month, but it really means a lot to me. And without doubt, it allows me to continue doing all the work I'm doing from these podcast episodes to the posts you're reading on Instagram, and of course, to each issue of The Tradition of Living Beautifully that I put out on Substack. So thank you. It means so much to me. You can check out my Substack publication by clicking the link in the show notes, but you can find me at DoloresToronto.substack. Com. And if you're following me over on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto, I have a new link tree in my bio. So you can just click on the link in my bio and it will take you to everything, my friends. I'm so excited to have finally done that, which has been on my list forever. And P.S. it took like five minutes. So <laughs> let that be a lesson to all of us. But you can find through Instagram everything, the podcast, Substack, my website, my shop, all of the goodies. Okay, with that said, just a little reminder about our sponsors. 
My friends, House of Tokemon is not just a sponsor of Bella Figura. They are a friend. The owner, Annabelle, is somebody that I speak to regularly. I text her questions constantly about my new chickens because if you've been listening to the show for a little bit here, you know that Annabelle has a homestead and she has way more chickens and other animals as well as children (laughs) than I have. And she's always gracious in giving me advice and tips, which I, of course, as a new chicken owner, desperately need. But more importantly, Annabelle's work is our work. The work that she does sourcing vintage handmade rugs from around the world is valuing the things that I and I know that so many of you listening value. We want our homes to be as natural as possible, which is really hard to do in today's day and age because as we talk about so often on the show, everything is toxic. Everything has something in it that we don't want. So a lot of times we need to look to the past. These rugs, like other antiques, like other vintage items, they already exist in the world. They get cleaned up, they get prettied up, and they get shipped directly to your door. You can swap them out for the big box store rugs you may have in your home. And listen, they are an investment. Like anything vintage and enduring and timeless, it's an investment. But what I've been doing is swapping out my rugs as I can, a little bit at a time. And let me tell you, when I'm laying on the rug on the ground with my son reading a book or playing with his toys and rolling around and laughing together, I am so grateful that I'm laying on a vintage, natural, non-toxic rug that's handmade, which is something I really believe in. Annabelle generously offering 25% off any order by using the code Bella25 for all of my listeners. Check her out at hotrugs.net and use the code Bella25 for 25% off. All right, folks, let me tell you about today's guest, my longtime friend, Joanna Barbera. With roots in New York and stints in San Francisco, Maui, London, Arizona, Austin, and Nashville, Joanna Barbera's wandering spirit shines through in her evocative folk tunes. Her interest in the ethereal and the divine, from religious studies and yoga to shamanism and energy healing, has influenced her songs, which ask big questions about relationships, life, death, and finding one's place. Joanna made the move to Nashville in the summer of 2014, where she wrote and recorded her latest EP, 2017's Imago. The song When the Rain Comes landed a feature on CBS's Criminal Minds, while a new single, a cover of Tom Petty's Breakdown, was released soon after. Joanna followed the song's arrival with a European tour alongside Dear Tick to close out the year. All right, my friends, let's jump on into this conversation. Okay, Joanna, thanks for joining me on Bella Figura. Yes. So excited to be here. <laughs> so I have not had, I mean, I've had friends on, right? Like I've had people that I've met um, at writer's workshops who, for instance, have remained friends, but you're the first yeah, friend for life kind of friend, <laughs> friend mm-hmm. forever kind of friend. Mm-hmm. So this should be interesting. 
Yes. I'm sure. I'll be <laughs> embarrassed somewhere along the way. I mean, naturally. <laughs> <laughs> so I love to start the show, even though I know the answer, please tell the listeners uh, to, I'd like to ask guests to tell me a bit about their roots and the people that they come from. All right. Well, as you know, I am a hundred percent Italian mm-hmm. from, I was born and raised in New York in the same hood is Dolores. And, um, yeah. So my parents are, um, from, well, my great grandparents are from Naples and Sicily. So that is the origin of my Italian roots. And yeah, just most of my family from the last three generations is all in New York, much like you would see in, you know, the Goodfellas movies, (laughs) things like that. (laughs) They're just, um, yeah, very colorful and passionate people. That's true. She, she, you just finished telling me before we hit record that you were, you and Anthony, your, your partner are, your goal is to decorate your house, like your Italian grandparents in the (laughs) eighties, because she's sitting on this. I really, I remarked on how lovely it is vintage. Uh, it probably has a name, the style, but I don't know it vintage, like green couch, Victorian, Victorian. There you go. And it looks so pretty. I wouldn't have described it as 80 grand 80s grandparents, Italian grandparents, but in the right, in the right room, definitely. And then she panned the camera and showed me her wooden box 1980s television that they just picked up. And that completes the look. Yeah. Well, you know, grandma would have, <laughs> grandma would have had plastic. Um, yeah. So I think that's what would have made. She definitely would have. That's your modernizing right there. <laughs> yeah. Sitting on plastic all our lives. Bizarre. So I want to talk to you about several things. One is, of course, the work that you're doing. Um, But I thought it would be good to have you in the show because this, the theme for this season is beauty. Mm. And I thought we could talk a little bit about the beauty of long friendships mm-hmm. and explore a little bit what that actually looks like in reality. Because I find a couple things. I find that a lot of people today don't have long friendships. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like you've come across that? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people will say, like, you you still have friends from junior high. You know, that's, I'm not even going to give a number, but that's a really long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't have that. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of talk about how that goes, right? Like that it's not always easy and it's not always for certain. And there's a lot of like ups and downs, but like the beauty in all of that. So mm-hmm. We'll get to that, but I do wanted to talk a little bit first about the work that you do. And of course, because I've known you forever, I know that you began career-wise really with enormous ambitions of being a musician. And of course, you are a musician, but of being like Taylor Swift size musician. <laughs> I mean, it was more like Patty Griffin, you know. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. I, I always never really like... aspired to be like, maybe when I was like 12, I aspired to be. But like... I knew you when you were 12. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that point when I was singing to you using like a lacrosse stick as a microphone, yes, I wanted to be like Madonna. Or Madonna. Something. I was gonna say yeah. Madonna. Say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So start out just telling us a little bit about that. I mean, a little bit of how you started playing music and just the beginnings of, of getting into all that as like an art form for you. 
Well, you're going to love this because you're the first thing that pops into my head. So, uh, uh, you know, for music for me, actually, okay. Well, music, Dolores and I have been friends since we were, yeah, 12, 13, right around that area. And I really feel like my life took the unique turn it did. That's a bit different from my other family members by we had a friend who had older sisters who opened our eyes to many things that we probably wouldn't have (laughs) had happened in that, that point in our lives. And they used to take me to Grateful Dead shows. And I was only about 14 years old. And I so and they also were like huge just fans of their music enthusiasts all yeah. around. They so listen to would, really great music. Like yeah. Ricky uh Ricky Lee Jones, if I recall, or am I making that up? Um Steve a lot Miller. Of like classic rock. Yeah. Yeah. Of, mm-hmm. yeah. And they yeah. were big dead fans. They were big grateful dead fans. So being and I used to and I listened to them by way of being introduced to them by uh, my friend's sisters and <laughs> they took us to Grateful Dead show I think I was 14 and I really feel like that is what left such a huge imprint in like my field of how an alternative life could look mm-hmm. and I just saw at such a young age how free those people were, you know, you'd see moms, remember spinning in the hallway, they'd be having their baby wrapped around them. (laughs) And it was just like, you know, it was like a circus. It was crazy, but it was also beautiful. And I think that I made an agreement with myself at that age where I was just like, oh, like this equals freedom, whatever this is, music as, um, as your main source of inspiration and then whatever like my parents are doing (laughs) and their parents were doing like not freedom um so that was a blessing and a curse in many ways (laughs) to see it that way but I could so relate to that as you know yeah yeah so then from there I there was just this like seed planted of you know artistry in in music and in other ways too just equaled freedom and um then when Dolores and I were in junior high, uh, or maybe it was early high school, we started listening by way of another friend's older sister, a lot of female artists like Tori Amos and the Cranberries. And and we, you know, we always looked up to the older sisters, right? They were the coolest things in the world, but they all, she brought an element to us. Fleetwood Mac. And it wasn't quite like Lilith fair. It was a little cooler than that. As far as I'm Yeah. Not a lot of people were necessarily listening to it. It wasn't, it wasn't like a popular, I mean, it, it had been popular, but I guess what I'm saying is among our age group. Right. No, it wasn't, weren't a lot of people listening to that music. I feel like in that age, like a lot of people were listening to maybe as far as the female artists go like garbage and things like that. We weren't really into that. So we were going to see Tori Amos in these like theaters. And I remember like in Jersey, we like saw her in this beautiful yeah. kind of like Lafayette style. I know it was theater. so cool. It was like this mm-hmm. old little theater intimate. And we like internal, <laughs> we internalized her music so much. I mean, like these songs became like <laughs> themes of, they were like the story playing in the background of our, in our minds, very important teenage lives and <laughs> crushes and experiences. Yeah. I mean, we would literally like, we'd have a song that just represented like the guy we had a crush on. And, you know, I, I feel like this isn't really the memory, but if I had to like relive it in my head, I'd be like sitting there like, 
crying in my journal, writing about a guy I had a crush on and like, like listening to Tori Amos and Dolores would just be there next to me. <laughs> Interpreting the lyrics. Yeah. Hard. So, so that was, yeah, that was the theme. And then I guess when I hit college, which again, Dolores and I went to college together is how long we freaking known each other. Um, it became a source of like, it was just, again, just poetic freedom. You know, we would just play guitar and sing and, and I, and I just one day was like, I'm actually gonna, it was actually after my father died, I kind of took a little break from it after college and um, went in a different direction, more of a spiritual direction, which is funny, um, which kind of had me put that all on hold until I was about 26. And when my father passed away, I just was like, okay, life is short. It was more out of a place of sort of anxiety, which is unfortunate, but it was this like, life is short. I need to do everything Mm. I ever wanted to do now. And like, from that moment, I just started writing songs. I got like an internship at a um, recording studio and I just went full in and I was like, I'm going to do this. You moved to, you moved to um, San Francisco, San Francisco. Then you moved to Austin, Texas, all kind of like music cities. Now you're in Nashville. Another music city. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was the journey of, uh, you know, the chasing of the music dream. Yeah. In the traditional, I guess, fashion. Right. Of what that I, yeah. What that looks like. And, and, you know, obviously I want the listeners to learn about you, but also I asked that because in preparing for the show, I was thinking about how many people I have sat here with and talked to about being on one path, waking up one morning and realizing this is not, this path is not for me. I know that I said it was, I swore it was, I kicked and screamed it was, but it isn't. And making a big shift in life Mm -hmm. to go in a, in a new direction. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you would describe what you're doing now in that way. I don't know if I just like put like a, a false meaning onto your life journey, but I'm assuming I know you better than that at this point, but, and how, how it really isn't easy to kind of be one person or be a certain persona and then like have to discard it and start again. Mm-hmm. Does any of that make sense? Oh, a thousand percent. Okay. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, and we don't have to get into this today, but the funny thing is, is I feel like I'm there again as of like this past month. Yeah. So th- you just said that before we hit record and I don't know what this is. So just, I don't know if you want to share it with me and the, to, to, everyone listening. <laughs> no, <I laughs> or you want to wait? Either. Okay. <laughs> just, just being asked to um, shift gears again. Right into another uh, direction that's more true for who I am. And I think that's what those chapters of switching career paths become. And, you know, Dolores, as far as like, I can tell with you and also with me, it's like those elements of who we thought we were going to be, like there's still those truth threads that weave themselves through what we're doing now. I'd agree. Mm-hmm. I agree with I that. Mean, there's so much of what I value of you as a writer, you know, when we were in college and that's what we were, we were so hell bent on being musicians and writers. 
I mean, your writing on your content is just breaks my heart every time in like the best possible way. So it's still there. Yeah. You know, I thank you. You're, you're always been like one of my biggest cheerleaders when it comes to writing. Literally I can say always. Um, and it's ongoing and I'm very grateful for that. So in, in like thinking about that question, I thought it was more like you had to leave behind what you thought a musician looked like. Right. And what a musician lived like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to do the same thing with writing. It was, we both had these images of what an artistic life was going to be, what it had to be. And the irony is we were so hell bent on being free <laughs> that we caged ourselves in. We caged ourselves into an archetype. Yes. That yeah. honestly had a, a lot of negative, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Connotations. Connotations. Yeah. And like attributes. Um, and I think we, in doing that, we also closed the door at the time to a lot of other options and mm -hmm. paths and possibilities. Oh gosh, so much. I can so relate with that. I try not to have regret. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is like the, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me get back to that. Well, I think what you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, is the tortured artist archetype. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The yeah. poor artist, the ultra liberal, yeah. the, mm -hmm. you know, all yeah. of that. Um, yeah. The, the, the one reckless. who, right. The one who wants nothing to do, as you said in the beginning with whatever her parents did, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. she comes from her roots, you know, the people just thinking you have to completely reinvent yourself. You're, you know, mis misunderstood a lot of on the road. Uh, I mean, for our time, a lot of drinking, lot of other things yep <laughs> Yepers. um yeah and it's so funny because like I'm hosting uh an event this week that is a mixture of movement and live music with mantra with Sanskrit mantra and then also a song that I wrote that was inspired by this em women's empowerment program that I had put together. And I mean, 15 years of myself swearing, I would never do what I'm doing now because it's so <laughs> not rock and roll. <laughs> like why I wouldn't have given myself the option to be right. like healthy and inspiring. And it just, I guess it just reminded me too much of like, I don't know, you know, the stereotype of like hokey, like, you know, church music or something like yep. that. Yeah. 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 Well, and all this idea that if you have, like, for me, it was more like, I can't have a family mm. and I can't have a husband and I can't have children because, you know, I remember the story. I, I feel like you must remember this story because I feel like we used to talk about it all the time of like Joni Mitchell leaving Graham Nash because I mean Graham Nash right the song <laughs> our house <laughs> is about Joni Mitchell and him that's how flipping happy they were <laughs> mm -hmm. together and she leaves him because she quote felt that she would like never play the piano again 
Jenna's where rolling her eyes. Where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. And so we would like absorb stories like that, consume them. I mean, who's going to argue with Joni Mitchell? Right. Not right. me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not when I'm 16 and not even when I'm 26. I know. Maybe not. Almost. I'd still be a little confused now, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, that was the kind of message that we were absorbing and I don't really know where I'm going with that. I think I'm just throwing it out there as like reevaluating these kind of younger assumptions about ourselves and art and how we want to live. It's like, it's like any way you slice it. Like, although we were trying to be so radical and free, we were falling into a pre-written script. I don't know who wrote it, Yeah, you know, but it was still someone else's idea and like someone else's glorified version of what cool was and what artistic was like, you know, at the end of the day, what did we want? We wanted to be free. That was mm-hmm. always at the root of, at least for myself, I'll speak for myself. I wanted to be free, which to me meant what loving what I do, you know, waking up fulfilled by what I'm taking action in during the day, you know? Yeah, of course there's hard times in life, but like, it's still, at least I'm going after something that's aligned with my heart and, you know, discovering who I really am. And it was always about this liberation that what the truth of what that word means is what I was always after. And then the, the, you know, box that I found of the, what was in the music industry or the arts or whatever. I mean, look, I'm not bashing it all together, but there is this sort of like, pre-written script and what I found which is so crazy which I think is what led me into wellness was is like it was so freaking unhealthy mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so no, yeah. like like it wasn't cool to eat healthy like it was cool to like be hung over and go to the diner at like you know eight in the morning the next day and eat crappy food and then maybe hair of the dog is like that was glorified like what that f like <laughs> you know like what yeah. oh yeah it's cool to like slowly kill yourself at a young age like right so yeah yeah and then be on the road all the time so that your Ooh, yeah. home life is out and be on the road all the time in a way that like what i found was in, in the experience i did have being on tour for a month or two with a larger band and really doing the thing in front of 500 to a thousand people a night was like there was no uh, consideration of self-care and wellness created in the timeline of the tour. I mean, it was like, you get to the venue, eight o'clock, you play the show, you pack up, you go one in the morning, hit the car, get to the hotel at two in the morning, wake up 8 a.m. the next day, do the next thing. It was like, whoa. Ouch, I would never be able to do that. And that's what hit me. Like, that's when my switch kind of came, you know, because I was like, whoa, like, this is not, I can't keep up with <laughs> Yeah, no. And who can? I mean, and it's like the funny part is you see how many people in our 20s. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. right. I know. But life goes on as life goes on. You know, I think it's also as life goes on, you can't do those things. But also you just start to see that maybe they don't matter that much. Mm -hmm. And that maybe that very thing that you were glorifying is really not much of a life at all, mm-hmm. you know? And then you have to say, okay, so, you know, for me in my, in my example, it was having, being alone so that I could have all this time to write. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. It's not easy to 
find time to be creative with a three-year-old and a home and a husband. It's not, it's not the same, but also really like just that's the goal just to be alone in a room writing Mm -hmm. fake stories or real stories, but where's the living part? Mm-hmm. that inspires the stories yeah well, yeah exactly where's that part that your where your life is real and feeding you and also not that I could have seen this coming because nobody did but the way things are now I feel like you know you, you used to be able to be a writer and and look at something like um posterity right so I want to be read a hundred years from now I want to be read a hundred you know 200 years from now, it's like nobody's going to be read 100 years from now. <laughs> the way things are. I mean, Hemingway's, God, you know, like Shakespeare's under attack. Hemingway's under attack. You know, some of the some of the greatest, I mean, Ovid, people like that, like Greek writing classics that are thousands of years old are under attack. So you're going to give your life solely to that and probably the odds are, you know, you're not, you're not going to be read for that long, no matter how transcendent you are, mm-hmm. but raising a family, being a part of a community, taking care of the earth or the land that you live on. I mean, those things do last. It's a different kind of legacy. It's a different kind of legacy. So in general, when I, when I think of you and like thought of having you on the show, it's, I mean, I talk about that a lot. I just thought, I like talking about this because I feel like I want people it's like if they feel like they need to change, even though they said they were always going to be this, that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all well, do Like it. I said, I feel like, I feel like if what you were doing, there's another way to think about it too. You can just, you know, one of the, when I got super into the uh, coaching you know, gurus like Tony Robbins, he would always say, if you're not growing, you're dying, you know, and it's true. It's like, I would be willing to bet that anything that you were and were so hell bent on being, and now your life, your life is taking a career turn. Like I said, I still would imagine that there are threads of that. Yeah. Coming into the new thing that you're doing, maybe for sure, Mm -hmm. refraining, looking at it as like a refined version of you know your your true soul mission for why you're here and like that and that it could still be in process like it can still be even though you're you're landing in something new perhaps there's even growth on top of that that will happen and you just kind of keep following the breadcrumbs as you be in um in integrity with what's what's really in your heart and what you want to do that yeah I get that and I and I I agree with that because I think when I started to do more of the the platform and the blogging and the podcast all that that I'm doing now I thought I'm talking about so much more or I'm writing talking and writing about so much more than I thought I would Mm -hmm. when I was trying to be a writer with a capital W Mm -hmm. And I think that that's part of it. It's about that. It's almost like coming out of what this enclosed idea. And then there's so much more waiting for you mm-hmm. that you didn't, you know, in having this like um, 
myopic view of what this was supposed to look like, right? Like you open up and there's so much more. Mm -hmm. There's so much more to write about. There's so much more to talk about. And I'm not just writing, I'm talking. I happen to be a pretty good talker too. Mm -hmm. So this is perfect. I love it. (laughs) So why not? Why not also speak instead of just, you know, being locked up in a room writing? You're limiting yourself. Yeah. Like almost like you had this vision. I mean, at least, you know, in witnessing your experience, especially at that early age when we were both diehard, you know, artists and wanting to be known for that forever. It seemed like you wanted to be like, um, I don't know, give me like an, an author. Like I'm trying to think of someone to come to mind, but basically an author who is just constantly like, spitting out books like you know and and they were these really depthful uh prolific writings and that's like you said all you were doing and Mm -hmm. and and that's all you were known for and you know the who who is the mysterious Dolores right she's the woman in the room and all we get are these pages of information that come through her and it's this really cool and it is I mean that's a really cool (laughs) idea right of of a life (laughs) Yeah. Um, but like you said, it's like, well, what are you writing about if you're locked in a room and, and are you happy and healthy? And are you happy and healthy? Room, right. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're isolated, we know that it's not healthy to be isolated, right. that we need each other to reflect things back um, to one another and for one another. So you're right about this limiting ourselves by, <clears throat> uh, just being so, you know, this is where I become more conservative and I'm like totally turning into my father, which is like, <laughs> I, this is the point where I really believe, I mean, you could, this is where like the woo woo can also just be like good old, like biblical sayings, which is like, it, how much control do you really have of this? How much is this life God's plan for you? And that it's your job to just continue to allow the unfolding of it. And there we were holding on to something so tightly as if it was our plan, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like surrender that. And, you know, you could call that the universe, you could call it whatever, but it's like, I believe that there is this sort of divine blueprint, right? We come into, we have our destiny. We have what we're designed to do. That's why you came into the world being able to write so well. That's why I came into the world with songs in my you know, system, they're meant to be expressed. And when we get stuck in these ways of thinking that it has to look a certain way, it's like, we're not allowing our path to unfold the way that it was designed to. I mean, that's our free will, that's our ego, whatever you want to call it. But if we could just sort of relax into the unfolding process and faith is really the word that comes to mind, like one foot in front of the other, when there's like times that are really contracted and you don't know what's next, just really stay in that surrender mode and hand it over and know that like the process of who you're meant to be in this planet at this time is unfolding, um, has really been the, the point that I landed on in the last year (laughs) or so around all this. Yeah. So I'll say in in my way, right, Dolores way, which is you, it's kind of like a very juvenile thinking that you were actually going to get whatever you wanted, how you wanted, because you could control things and then control of it. You're not. And that's, that is also part of this is just getting older and being more humble and having more trust and faith and realizing you're, you're actually very tiny (laughs) and your, your will is not your really always your not your will, your will is your own, but like your, your destiny, like you said, the blueprint, it's not the one that you drew. And honestly, what I have found is if you can open up and let go and trust enough, it's actually bigger than you 
could have imagined, which I guess is what we've been getting at <laughs> Yeah, this whole time, which is our vision was very small. You guys, I'm going to tell you something that even all these years later still makes me cringe. And that is for many years, I didn't drink wine or eat pasta or bread. Yep, in a quest to be quote unquote healthy, I abstained from carbs and from what I knew was high levels of sugar in wine. That all changed when I discovered ancient grains like einkorn and of course sourdough. I bake a lot of sourdough bread these days. And when I discovered dry farm wines. Dry farm wines sources beautiful, low sugar, non-toxic, pure, organic wines from around the world and they're grown on small family farms where people care not only about the land but about the product that they're making. Once I discovered dry farm wines, I completely changed my approach to wine drinking. We have a wine fridge here and it is literally always stocked with bottles that I get from Dry Farm. That's why when I started Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully, partnering with them was a no-brainer. You guys, I only talk about products and items on this show that I truly believe in, that I stand behind. I give you my word. These are amazing wines, and I really encourage you to give them a try. Use the link made specifically for my listeners, dryfarmwines.com forward slash Bella Figura. And if you use the link, you will get a bottle for just a penny in your first order. Now, when you get to the site, it may seem like you don't have flexibility because they offer packages. You get six bottles of wine a month or six bottles of wine every four months. You can get a mix of white, you can get a mix of red, but if you want something different than what's listed on the website, they also have some of the best customer service you are going to encounter. I love dealing with them. It's super easy. They're very courteous and they're very on point. So so if they're isn't listed a combination that you want, just hop on the chat button right there or shoot them an email and they will absolutely work with you. Don't let that deter you. Give them a try. Get your bottle for just a penny in your first order. I promise you, you will not regret it. We limited okay. ourselves because we were modeling ourselves after, you know, what was presenting a cool life, basically. Yeah, right. And then it's what really understandable. Was, sure, I mean, when you're young, you're working it out. You're going, you're going through all the things. But what God really had in mind for both of us is much wider than that vision. And I sure do think that, you know, had we been told that by somebody who was cool. <laughs> That that would have been helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if I'm cool anymore, but but maybe I'm cool enough that somebody's listening and they will listen. <laughs> hard to tell, Dee. It's hard to tell for cool or not. Okay, so you are on the road, you're playing all these gigs, you're putting out albums. 
and living the life you thought you wanted. And then you decide, I don't want this. And with time, you start Music City Mindfulness, which is your mm-hmm. current brand platform expression of what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're what you do through that, through Music City Mindfulness. Yeah, well, the idea was to create community. I just wanted to create a community that I wanted to be a part of. And I was just so tired of like glorifying, um, mistreating the body and and being in bars and clubs to play music that I felt were not um, a healthy surrounding to put somebody who's as sensitive and empathic as I am and most of us are honestly so I just was like you know what but I always had said because I was always on the path of like yoga and all the you know deep diving into self-help and I always would say like oh if music doesn't work out I'll just you know go into that world which is actually exactly what I did (laughs) (laughs) I like literally did the plan b um And I started with just leading circles. Uh, I was teaching once a week at a yoga studio and I wasn't, I wasn't like very popular of a teacher. And that was kind of like, not, it was not like, I would only have like three or five students, but then I decided I would do like a thematic circle, which is always who I've been. I've always loved ritual. And you know that about Mm -hmm. me too, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've always loved deep diving and asking deeper questions and things like that. So I was like, all right. I'm going to do a women's circle. I called it design and align. And it was all about, you know, kind of like, I mean, I'm not as into this stuff anymore, but it was like vision board world and things like that. And we did some yoga and we did the vision board and we had some food and it was super cool. And I was like, okay, okay, this is cool events, events that I would want to be a part of. And I started doing that. And then that led into me being like, hmm, maybe I can do, especially when 2020 happened and everybody was online. I figured I should get hit to that too. And I started doing more like hybrid events. I was learning how to do um, maybe a six week series, but at the end of it, there'd be an in-person closing ceremony. Really went down the influencer studying route of how people were doing things. And now I'm, you know, leading online courses and just very centered around empowerment and sovereignty. And basically all these themes that we're talking about Um, which is funny because I am going to circle back to what I said earlier about how my path is shifting, which is that the path that I've been on and and teaching programs on sovereignty and empowerment and wellness is now leading me to call back in aspects of the artist and the music, because as I'm teaching sovereignty, that is (laughs) sovereignty for me is to really be able to create a career that, that, highlights all aspects of myself that's what I'm teaching people and I really believe that what what we teach we are very much asked to practice or it won't work because you're still a musician like you still love music Mm -hmm. so it's not like okay uh that quote didn't work out so I'm just gonna put it on a shelf go start a new business move on if it's it will chase you if it's meant to be it will chase you <laughs> at that. I can tell you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it will ask you to let it expose itself uh, to the world or rebirth itself through you in a way that is much more in alignment with your values and your ethics and your truth. Mm. So that's the birthing process that I feel like I'm in right now is like, 
you know, this is what I mean about changing your career paths or life not looking like the way it's supposed to. Um, it's all part of the bigger picture. So now I'm being guided sort of back into, I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but I could feel that I had to teach and do the mindfulness and wellness and empowerment and all that for the past three and a half years to like bring me to where I am now, which is to really uh, practice what I preach and right. practicing what I preach is bringing the elements of what I love into my life and my teachings. Yeah, I, I get that. And it's interesting because I, you, as you and everybody listening knows, I worked for the governor of New York state for four years and I didn't write except speeches for him. I didn't do, I didn't take photographs. I, I was just like on this, I had to, I had a Blackberry, I had his iPhone. I was like, go, go, go. And I had like, 20 breakdowns every year for every year that I worked for him <laughs> because I mean not just me everybody hold on just adjust my camera here okay uh not just me I mean everybody everybody was stressed in that way the only difference is a lot of the people there wanted to be in politics right it was there it was what they wanted to do and they were at kind of an apex so really high level of doing what they wanted and then there was me who just wanted a kind of quiet life and to write and be creative and be who I've always been and I you don't feel good you don't feel good because you're not doing you're not doing what you're what's in you right it's just you're like you said it'll chase you and when I finally walked away and everything shook out and now doing the kind of writing I'm doing. So I, I do wake up and work on novels and long form books that will soon hopefully be released to the world. But I also do a lot of writing for Instagram. I have a Substack publication that I do a lot of writing for. And it has been kind of surprising to me how much I enjoy doing those mm. right like this is something that I like you said in a different way you're it's coming back in a different way you had to go this way to come back to come back to it I really like when I write for for those posts for Instagram I really like writing for Substack I love hearing from people that it's inspired them and they go out through their day and I feel like I feel like it's this really immediate conversation mm -hmm. that I get to have with people. It's my community. You know, you were saying you wanted to build community and in a way for me, I feel like that's what I get through this. Yeah. And it's been so interesting to you're going to laugh at this. It's been really interesting to let those compliments <laughs> and praises somewhat infiltrate my like skeptical <laughs> hard shell and now since it's been like a couple years that I've been doing this full time now kind of be like oh maybe I maybe I'm kind of good at this <laughs> maybe yeah. I like maybe I do have some kind of talent you know right right um, and and to use it knowing that because what I find really incredible that I hear from people is and and for me I think about how difficult it must be 
for, for people who don't write the way I do, which is they say to me, I feel that. And I have felt that. And I never could say it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, if that's a gift God's given me. Right. Right. You should go ahead and use that. Right. Isn't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. That's, that's, mm, I love that kind of confirmation. And when we could allow ourselves to receive it, it's not for the ego. It's not to blow up our, you know, egoic minds, but it's just like a nod from God or the universe of like, yeah, yeah, this is why you were born with that gift. Yeah. I think it might be exactly what you just said that we've been talking about, which is that younger self. It was about the ego first. Mm-hmm. And now it's about this gift that I've been given that I probably don't deserve and using it. There she is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's just like the, the Catholic in me, you know, the like self-deprecating <laughs> the Catholic Italian as we grow you up. Don't, yeah, exactly. You know, I don't deserve these gifts and, and I'm not worthy of them, but, you know, trying to use them not for myself, although it gives me joy, right. but for community and for people and oh everything we were chasing was for ourselves everything we were chasing was for for validation to feel like we mattered to feel like we were you know lovable and acceptable i mean i'm speaking for you but i i think i'm somewhat accurate at least <laughs> i know i am for myself like it was never for service it was all right yep. it was all like a uh a plea to feel like you're somewhat acceptable or exceptional, exceptional and not normal. I think in some ways too, I feel like we just like did not want to be normal, quote unquote, which is why now I write a lot on Instagram about being ordinary and how like just waking up one morning and realizing like I'm just ordinary and that that's perfectly fine. And having like a good ordinary life. And that is not a small thing Mm. to have. People today, we all, like everybody feels like they have to be famous and rich and the most beautiful and this and that. But like millions of people have awful lives. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh. Right? Here's the thing, though. Um from where I'm standing is like everything that we kind of just blasted through about the timeline of how long we've known each other. Um, it's like, but you are extraordinary because in your tapestry is like ridiculous <laughs> journey to get to this place of choosing the ordinary. And therefore you're like extraordinary in the, in the ordinary is how <laughs> I see it. And, and that, and that is, again, you know, kind of helpful and feeling like the path was, was somewhat worth it, even though a lot of it was naivety and fear and all that. But it's like, you have um, that plate, that wisdom that comes with letting yourself go through all those versions of you to get where you are. And it's sort of like the green light for other people to do that too. Like just trust your process, just, you know, move through it. And here you are such an extraordinary person who has chosen and an ordinary life. I guess it's almost like reclaiming the word ordinary. Yeah. <laughs> you right. know, to not mean something negative because the majority of us are just ordinary in, in, in 
the best sense of the word, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Right. But I know what you're saying. And, you know, it's not to put myself down at all. You're it's saying say- that we don't need to, like, walk outside, like, you know, flamboyantly, like, screaming, look how different we are. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah or value on what. Correct. What or we- underestimate how, how actually not common it is to have a good ordinary life that it's not a given. And to, if you build one, if you build a life where you actually, you do love what you do, you do have a good family, you have a good home, you wake up and you're surrounded by the external, I'm going to say manifestation. It sounds like a Joanna word. I'm gonna, It's coming out right now. The external manifestation of your inward vision. Not everybody has that. Mm-hmm. That actually in in this kind of small way is exceptional. You know, like I think of my parents who you know so well. I mean, look at my father. To the world in general, he's just an ordinary man. Yeah. And he built a good ordinary life. My father was exceptional. He was extraordinary. <laughs> he was extraordinary. He was not an he was not yeah. ordinary person. Right. Exactly. Like ordinary in that sense was not was was exceptional i think this just like wraps up my like whole theory on life which is like we live in an up we live in an upside down world we live in an upside down world for right sure. so what is extraordinary is in the ordinary and you know what is uh deemed freedom is what keeps us caged <laughs> yeah i guess that's what i'm trying to say exactly uh-huh. you just kind of summed it up yeah yeah just typical um For us, we're kind of saying the same thing in different ways Mm -hmm. for decades. Uh For decades now. So before we wrap up, I do want to dive, as promised, a little bit more directly into the beauty of long friendships. I mean, we've obviously, I feel like we've been demonstrating the beauty of long friendships (laughs) for the past hour. But I thought a good way to kind of chip into that is to bring up you texted me a few months ago you were going through letters oh gosh yes i hope you don't mind me bringing this up oh no i love finding old school dolores birthday cards and letters it's so amazing (laughs) so she has this so you know she has like letters that i wrote her in math class when i was like 14 that i would pass to her in the hall she's the psychopath who saved all these things I'm not so bad myself, to be honest, but, um, and you texted me a couple months ago and you said that I had, we must've been in a fight or, or just, um, estranged because we, our long friendship has had several periods of estrangement, ups and downs. And I could be wearing rose colored glasses, but aside from one period, I don't really remember like huge blowouts no it was mostly just different you were in one state i was in another state you were doing this i was doing that and i think that when i wrote this letter we it must have been something a little more intense and i wrote you to basically it's okay if we're not close kind of thing right now i will be at your wedding and i will be at your funeral Which is a really good line, by the way. And it's also coming from a 22 year old. (laughs) 
<laughs> so dramatic, oh, so good. So when you uh, said that, I was like, "Ooh, that's good." <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean. Like we were, we were cool. Damn it, <laughs> we were. And, <laughs> and I think I bring that up as a way to kind of go into it. That, in my experience, at least, that's what long friendships are. Mm. It's a kind of trust. In, if nothing else, that. That I will be at your wedding and I'll be at your funeral. I, you know, I think what you were expressing in that letter um, was really very wise because it basically was saying, like, I'm totally paraphrasing here, <clears throat> but, like, isn't it beautiful? Like, yes, we've gone in different directions in who we are and who we thought we would be, but isn't it also beautiful and like can't aren't like if sort of like if we really love each other wouldn't we allow that and there was a lot of this sort of in our world and maybe in others as well but there was sort of this like the pack stays together like cult mentality Mm, like mm, the pack mm. stays together like don't you deviate because if you do that you know is sort of fascinating and I think what was happening at that time is like we were in college and we were just sort of wearing different hats and we had been wearing the same hat for so long together from you know 13 to that point that it was very scary for me to you know feel like you were branching away um since I had, I, de- I think we sort of identified with each other for yeah. so long. Yeah. And that's what was, um, you know, and like reading that actually, you know, even though you were probably being a, a touch dramatic as we were. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> but, but you, because you know, but, but you were also wise beyond your years. Like what you were saying was absolutely accurate, you know, like I'm not going anywhere, but yeah, like allow me the freedom to spread my own wings and like not carry you with me sort of. Mm, well said. That's really well said. Yeah. Because w- what Joanna means by like pack mentality was we were fortunate enough in high school to have a very good group of friends. Mm. And to be honest, the older I get and the weirder the world gets, the more I see what a understand that that really was a blessing because it seems to me girls today are just rotten to each other uh, overall, especially when they're younger. That's what I find. And it's you're very lucky if you find girlfriends who don't like backstab you and do terrible things. And we we had that. We didn't have. We were so tight. I mean, we, would yeah. mess. we were mean to each other at times. We would mess with each other, but it was yeah, like more sisters. family style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like sisters. Yeah, but we wouldn't. I would never have. I would never boyfriend or something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like knowing that you, or even if he wasn't your boyfriend, like if he was a crush and I knew he was never going to date you, but you loved him and listened to Tori Amos songs about him. (laughs) I, he was off limits. Off limits. Done. Off limits. <laughs> and and you could trust in that and also I, I mean I would never and I would never go to like another girl and talk badly about you you know that brings it back like so much though like how much of that was in our um like lineage of mm. of that sort of like unspoken codes you don't disrespect yeah loyalty it was you me am I allowed to name people's names I'm yeah not, yeah go for it it was mm-hmm. it was you me and Lara for the most part for most mm-hmm. of high school at least yeah 
you know, she came from a Puerto Rican background, sort yeah. of that similar family roots is very yeah. important at the core of, yeah. um, you know, so yeah, there was that like unspoken, like you don't read each other's journals. <laughs> and, and and before you continue, I would describe Lara uh, still as a very loyal person. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. Thousand yeah. Percent. It's very much a characteristic that she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We had like, we just, th- we were, now that you say that really lucky to have that sort of root, um, I like similar belief and what I don't know what you call values of kind just of value. Like, yeah. We were, we were brought up with the values that we just would never fathom treating someone we loved that way. It wasn't how we were raised in, in our families. It wasn't how we were with our siblings. Like not that our sibling relationships were always perfect, but we were just raised that you are tight with your family. You stay close and we were family and we were family. And so yeah. it just extended to our, our friendships. But as with family, there is often another side, which is, you know, your family can be suffocating. Family can put um, a heavy sense of obligation mm-hmm. on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And when you're friends and you're going from this small town through your junior high, high school, and you're opening up into the the worlds. I mean, I had never been. We went to Arizona. I mean, I've never been really to places like that. My family, you know, we were so old school. I couldn't even sleep over your house most of the yeah. time. Like, and so we were finding different parts of ourselves. And that's long story short. That's what you meant by like um, a kind of a kind of cult mentality, <laughs> which was we weren't always going to be those people. Well, we, we were, were. kind of like holding hands and like free falling. Like when we went to Arizona together and left New York and left, like we were the only ones in our family that left New York. Italian. Yeah. You didn't do that, you no. know, then for Dolores, at least, you know, my family, my father, it was adamant about putting all three of us, my sisters and I through college. And for Dolores, it went like, and probably because your parents were from Italy, I was third generation, but you know, nobody even went to college. Right. This right. was like a, so for us to both like hop on a plane at 19 and go to Arizona State University was like a pretty epic evolution in our lineage, right? Yeah. And we were sort of like holding hands and free falling the, this discovery of a whole other world that, you know, we just knew nothing about. We tried our best to be rebellious. And like I said, with the Grateful Dead shows and things like that in high school, to a certain extent, we saw some of what was out there. But when we went to Arizona and we were jumping in, you know, a van and driving to LA or driving, what did we, where did we go? We were driving to Santa Monica, Ventura through Santa Monica within the first week of being away. <laughs> we like met someone who was At like, like hey, 1am in yeah, a crappy you want to car. Hop in my van and go to through, drive through the mountains of California. Sure. So we were just like, you know, having this massive expansive experience and meeting all sorts of like totally different people that weren't New Yorkers. I mean, oh my God, what a nightmare. Dolores and I with the accents and how loud we were in the middle of Arizona, everybody on the floor in our dorm was like from Texas or from like Indianapolis. And we were like, just Indiana. So yeah. Obnoxious. It was us together. So loud. Screaming out the window, Joanna, you forgot your books. <laughs> All right, throw them down. Pass me a cigarette while you're at it. Oh yeah. Gosh, that's exactly how it was. Oh my gosh. That's true. And so, you know, really the lesson I think is the lesson, I guess, with pretty much any relationship is there's, there's a lot of 
letting go and just trusting that if you're supposed to be in one another's lives that you will be and right and also even if you're even if you don't want to like I have people that I was very close to that I don't necessarily want them in my life anymore right but if they needed me mm-hmm. because of our long bond and friendship I would be there for them right probably totally. with limitations but like I would be there if they really needed me for right. something very different dynamic I think that's what I was trying to say like since we're talking specifically about you and I and I'll 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 comment on what you just said as well. We were having, like I said, such an ex- expansive experience together and re- and learning all these new things that was scary to do alone. Yeah. Um, I think that that created like a, a special bond. And then of course, followed by difficulty in pulling away from that so that we can be our own person. Right. right. Um, the di- Then there's different dynamics. You know, we have different growing up the way we did and in the circles how tight we all were I feel like we were all like our friends our core group that we're sort of talking about here from you know seventh grade to through high school it was such a weird time in the late 80s and the 90s basically well I guess it was more than 90s in our adult in our teenage years that was such a that like split from the way our parents grew up and we all were like I I feel like our group of friends were just really helping each other survive like we mm. became family and we were mm. all going through a lot of you know this one like divorces were super high it was kind of like I don't know I feel like it wasn't as common and then it started becoming more common in like the 90s for like yeah. parents to be divorced yeah. like yeah. at least it wasn't in our world because we were yeah. so cool Italian New York and we all kind of had our own like weird family confusion going on yeah. we all came together in our own way so whose parents are getting divorced but then you got Dolores who feels like she doesn't you know fit in anywhere because her parents are so you know she can't even sleep over my house because they're so hardcore Italian and you know <laughs> and then it's like everybody had their like weird thing and we all came together in this clan and became this like you know family and yeah. just navigating. kind of supporting those <clears throat> Like those things in, in, in our lives, right? Like you guys, you know, it was something different than like my sister who's a lot older than me. She didn't, and she always said that to me. She didn't have friends like that because my parents, precisely because my parents were so old school and strict. Everybody was like, I don't have, like, I'm not, I don't have time to deal with that. Basically, you know, like you can't come out, you can't do the things we're doing, you can't go away for the weekend. But I was fortunate that I had friends who kind of loved me in spite of that. And we loved coming to your house. (laughs) That's true. That's true, too. Yeah. Yeah. You loved my family. I mean, I'm I'm making my family sound like they were monsters. They weren't. But you guys knew I was allowed to be myself. Basically, like I was allowed to come to the table with that family and those restrictions <laughs> which we couldn't yeah we all couldn't really understand we but we understood it like okay that's like yeah Dolores is probably not going to be allowed to go to this party like right right you know, how can we smuggle her out of that <laughs> yeah yeah how can we work this how can we work around this yeah it's true it's true I mean I don't know I, I think you're right I think it is a mix of our our values and then also something that you realize as a parent that is both 
like uh, wonderful and horrifying is how much your friends really do influence you. Oh yeah. And in this instance that we're talking about, I could probably talk about negative ones, but in this instance, I think we were good influences on each other. Right. Because we, right. Like the, the rules, the laws, the code was you don't backstab each other. You're, you're there for each other. And I think that that was a benefit that we all fed off of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm come on, you know, you want to go into the dark side, Dolores. And then on the other side of that, right, right. Exactly. (laughs) That is, yeah. You know, kind of like being so intertwined with um, your friends and like I said, identifying with each other, uh, then it becomes this thing where um, you're somehow you are in a weird way, like backstabbing them by becoming your own person. And that, that was, that was kind of a, 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 theme in some areas not between you and I but just in some of those old friendship dynamics that yeah I, I remember happening for for a lot of, like for a lot of little sub relationships yes. <laughs> in our our circle there was there was that yeah yeah all things all things to be considered when you're both raising children and mm-hmm. I guess looking back on your on your youth and your childhood right so before we wrap up you mentioned um, some new things in the work. I don't know if you want to like talk about what people can expect from you or what you're working on now, even if it's not like the next iteration, but yeah. New workshops, new. So I do have a program coming up called sacred guide, and it's basically a step-by-step guidance in teaching you how to lead workshops, events, circles, Uh, mainly in person, because that's what I've been doing for the past seven years at this point. And I just feel like there's so many people that are ready to share their gifts in, and we're all needing community and more in-person experiences. And there's just these things that hold us back from doing that. So I'm basically taking you through everything that I know, all the mistakes I've made, (laughs) all the things I've learned in a three week intensive uh, program. So yeah, that sounds great. That starts on May 17th. I will link to that in the show notes along with Joanna's um, Instagram and her website so you guys can learn more about her. Joanna, I uh, I, I mean, obviously I could talk to you for mm-hmm. a lot longer <laughs> about a million things. Uh, we are passing an hour here, so I want to be mindful of your time. Thank you. Thanks for being here with me and doing this. It's fun. Super fun. I know. I want to do 10 more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed another episode of Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. Thank you so much for joining me. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already and share it with your friends and on social. You can find me on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. And you can email me at Dolores at BellaFigurapodcast.com. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power.